0: So we're at the second Sunday of Advent, and we're at the love candle. Last week we looked at uh, hope from the prophet Isaiah, and we reminded ourselves that hope in the Old Testament, this confidence that God is really at work, he really fulfills his word, that comes to a focal point then at Advent, in the coming of Jesus into the world. Today, as we consider the love candle, uh, we want to do a similar thing. We want to see how love, as the theme of the Old Testament, comes to a focus in Jesus. So, the uh, text that I want to look at are two from, again, going back to the prophets, uh, but not to Isaiah. Let's go to Jeremiah. And uh, one text from the book of Jeremiah, and then the other is the one we just finished singing from Lamentations, right? So here is the uh, text from Jeremiah. Jeremiah. 31, chapter 31, verse 33. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, with an, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is, the, uh, this is the testimony of Jeremiah, but it's, it's the testimony of the whole of the Old Testament. Now, a, lot of people, a lot of people miss that. We've, uh, we've said this before, that a lot of people read the Old Testament as the description of a God who is angry and petty and punitive. Uh, we'll get back to Jeremiah in a minute. Let's uh, read a New Testament text that uh, I want to get to as well from the the disciple that is often called the Apostle of Love, John. Dear friends, he says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. All right, so back to Jeremiah. This important theme in the Old Testament that God is a God who loves his people, his steadfast love endures forever. And. That's the way it uh, comes up in a lot of uh, Google image searches, right? You look at that verse and the background is uh, gorgeous, right? Picking up on verse 23, his mercies are new every morning. So that's that's like a great image, huh? Uh, Dawn is arriving and it's going to be a beautiful day the birds are chirping, and you just feel good to be alive. So of course, you say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. But now, uh, you see where that text comes from, don't you? It comes from lamentations, lament, expressions of grief, and we have this extended poem that goes on for five chapters from, uh, from Jeremiah, and, and it's almost unrelieved expressions of grief. Because the background is not this beautiful day when it's wonderful to be alive. The background is the multi-year siege of Jerusalem by the armies of Babylon that basically just starved the city out. And people were dying on the streets. Bodies not even buried. I mean, what are you going to do with them? Children begging their parents for food, which they didn't have. And eventually the city is so weakened that the soldiers of Babylon are able to breach the city walls, and then it's rape, pillage, destruction, killing on a wholesale basis. And Jeremiah has spent years facing the fact that that's exactly what's going to happen. There were other people in the city, you know, who said, no, no, it's, it's, we're going to be delivered. Think of the times in the past when God delivered his people. Steadfast love of the Lord, you know, never ceases. But Jeremiah knows from the Lord that's not what's going to happen. So he's looking at this for years and trying to tell people. And in the end, his word is proved true and... Beyond all the killing and all of that and the starvation, there are thousands of people who are then force-marched to Babylon. Many of them, no doubt, dying on the way. And it's, it's in the context of that that Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord never Ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Well, that's a faith that I don't know I have yet. I mean, a hangnail can wreck my day. But this is the biblical teaching about God God is love that's what John says and Jeremiah realizes that and he realizes that circumstances don't change this reality see my, my difficulties don't change who God is and that's part of what what I need to learn what we need to learn God is love, says John. I, and that may mean more than just that God is loving, right? I have a colleague at uh, the seminary who, for whom this was a big, a big point he wanted to make. God isn't just loving. This statement is telling us something about the nature of God that is fundamental. There's a lot of important things we can say about God, but... But this may be the most important and fundamental thing in all of Scripture that we're told about God, that God's very nature is that He loves, and He is love. You say, man, there's there's a lot in the Old Testament that, that sounds like God is wrathful and angry and Upset? Yeah, for sure. But, but what this has helped me to see, and, you know, my, my colleagues helped me to see, that those statements about God's wrath and judgment are not, they're not fundamental to the character of God in the way that love is. They, they're actually a response to the rejection of God's love. Even as Christians, we often get that backwards. Many Christians, in their minds, if they're honest, they'd have to say that they think of God primarily as a cosmic policeman. Someone who is watching for traffic violations. And is upset when you go through a red light or you know, cross the solid line. That's, that's the base level way that they think about God. And it's wrong. Love is God's nature. Now, at Advent, what we're thinking about, see, is is the greatest expression of God's love. God shows his love to Jeremiah. Your mercies, God, are new every morning. But Jeremiah hasn't seen what Advent talks about, the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, into the world. John says, this is real love. Not that we love God, there's no human love as great as it is, is not on a level with God's love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is the focal point of love. Out of the whole message of the Bible, the focus is right here on God sending his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. Remember what uh, we used to do when we were kids? Uh, I hope kids still do this. I don't know. Uh, You can tell me if you're a kid uh, or think like a kid. But when we were kids, we would get one of those cheap magnifying glasses and find uh, a little bit of dried leaves or dried grass. And on a sunny day, We would focus that so that the heat of the sun was concentrated, and you could actually start a little fire, and that was the goal, was to start a little fire. What God is doing, I guess we could say, is that in the the coming of Jesus into the world, he's starting a fire of love. This is the focus. Of the character of God as love in the sending of His Son. This is real love. That He loved us and He sent His Son as a sacrifice. And that word sacrifice reminds us that the greatest love is always costly. I can, I, can you think of, of love? any expression of love in the, in the sense worthy of that term that does not cost. I guess, I guess one of the greatest expressions of human love that we can think of is, is the love of a mother for uh, an infant child. That's that's costly love, friends. I mean, that little package six or seven pounds, gets delivered to the doorstep, and uh, it is totally dependent. And it wants to be held and fed and changed and cleaned up at, at the simple squawk of those little lungs. And, and uh, as, as one person I heard express it say, it's, it's an absolute wonder that these mothers don't just throw that little package out the window. I mean, it's 24-7, nonstop, and they do it (laughs) at great sacrifice of sleep and you name it. I didn't understand that as a young father. I, I didn't get that. I think I get it better now. But the greatest love is always costly. And and that's the point that Advent makes for us. That the love of God as it became focused and expressed most clearly to the world was a costly love. It cost God his son. But then, of course, you have to go right beyond that and say that it also cost Jesus his life. Love, true love, is sacrificial and costly. By the way, as, you know, as we think about this, the Advent talks to us about the cost of God sending His Son into the world. John talks about that. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave But even that coming in the form of this little baby into a life of peasant people, that's not the full measure of love. The full measure of love is what all of that is driving to, and that's the cross where Jesus lays down his life for you and for me. I think that's why in, if you look at the four Gospels, the four portraits we have of Jesus, only two of the four talk about his birth. You know that, right? It's Matthew and Luke talk about his birth, but Mark and John don't. But all four of the Gospels spend roughly 25% of their whole telling of the story of Jesus, about 25%, focuses on the last week of Jesus' life and even more particularly on those hours of Good Friday. Well, and, and Thursday night too, right? That, that's the big central part along with Sunday. But those couple days, that's, that's where the magnifying glass... Uh, collects the rays with their full intensity and heat. God loves the world. God loves sinners. Is he the righteous judge? Is is he what uh, Abraham calls the the judge of all the earth? Absolutely. Is God upset about sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. but God's fundamental character is love. And he pours out his love on the world in the sending of his son and in the son's sacrifice at Calvary. This is the candle of hope, right? Now, the third thing I want us to think about is this. And... uh, That's very important in that section we read from 1 John. When John thinks about the love of God revealed in Jesus, he immediately says, but understand, folks, that if you've experienced the love of God in Jesus, that will change you. So we need to think about that a little bit. John says, "'If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God,' God lives in them and they in God. And it's that living in God and God living in us that changes. You know, for a long time we we did a series of lessons on transformation. Well, this is what we're talking about. We're back to it again here. Love transforms. Love changes us. To use a, an image that we looked at uh, a number of times before, how about that icon of the Trinity? Father, Son, and Spirit. So we say it this way. If we have received the love of God in Jesus by acknowledging our need and and believing that Jesus is sent to give this incredible sacrifice on our behalf to pay our debt, if we believe that, then we join the eternal fellowship of love, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John is particularly the apostle who talks to us about eternal life, right? You believe and you receive eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? It's the life of God. And so, Father, Son, and Spirit are in this eternal fellowship of love, and they invite us to the table to share in that life. See, a life which isn't just that you and I have our sins forgiven. Of course, that, that's the entryway. But it's a life where we learn to share God's life. The eternal fellowship of love. And that's why John says, anyone who loves God loves the children of God. In fact, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, So here, I guess, is what we need to think about. The, the circle of our friends shapes us, right? The, the people you hang out with, you will tend to become like them. And you often do it actively. I mean, you, you want to belong to the circle, so you, you exert yourself to uh, pick up the dynamics of that circle. So here it is. If we know God, if we have entered into that eternal fellowship of love, then our desire is to learn how to do life the way God does life. To relate together the way the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate together well, but, but that's not easy, is it? How are you doing on that one? And it's not sufficient to say, well, you know, maybe not very good, but after all, we're still sinners. That misses the whole point. The point is that you've been introduced to a new circle of friendship, the divine human partnership. So that's what we are called to work toward. But that's the challenge, isn't it? Learning to love is painful. And one reason it's painful is that in learning to love, I have to become self-aware. That that is, I have to become aware of how poorly I do at loving. Otherwise, you don't make any progress. You know, we look at little uh, Tommy Cat here. He's got big dreams. Yeah, I'm going to grow up and wait till you see what i become. Or maybe he thinks that's who he already is. Well. Reality is going to be painful for this guy. And that's the way it is. You know. For all of us. In this Christian journey. If we are serious. About becoming. Who we're called to be. If if we realize increasingly that we are called to live in the circle of fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we hear what John is saying, say, Lord, I've got so much to learn, and I have so much that gets in the way of this. When I was a, a young Father and we had uh, we had four kids ultimately i I had no clue as to how taxing that was for my wife i' just had no clue and I was trying to learn, you know, my new job in teaching, and I was pretty absorbed in that. So it was a slow process of understanding how demanding life was with four children at home. Uh, and, And the process then, over a number of years which is actually still going on but but the process of coming to see how self-centered and self-focused i was was painful i've had a lot of experiences like that friends H- have you I mean, this thing of looking in the mirror, if the mirror reflects back accurately, is, is difficult to look into. That's why we often don't look into the mirror. I mean, the mirror of God's Word, right? We, we look into it to see what somebody else needs or get some good theological ideas so my first big teaching gig, I was about 30 years old. My first big teaching gig was at a school out in the Midwest, prestigious school. I was flattered to go out there and have an opportunity to get started. And, and truth be told, I was intimidated because the, the people who were out there teaching were just top drawer people. They were brighter than me. They wrote more books than I did. And they were better teachers. And I got this extraordinary chance to go out there. So I did. And it was an interesting six years. And I grew a lot. So I'm thankful for all that. But, but here's an interesting thing. <laughs> uh, the faculty was very big. And so we existed in different buildings. And generally you hung out with the people in your building. So... I had some of the highest power people in my building, fortunately or unfortunately, and uh, in the back there was a little room was our lunch room for the brown baggers. Not everybody did that, but I did, and and a number of others. So we'd have you know we'd have three, four, six people back there at lunchtime, and uh, chatting about all kinds of things as faculty members do. Uh, although it seemed that one of the things that we frequently chatted about was the administration. You notice who's laughing? <laughs> uh, not so much about the president, because he was often off campus, and he raised a lot of money, so faculty members were pretty happy with that. But the guy who really ran the school was the academic dean. Uh, My experience out there taught me what I've often uh, summarized in this statement, that the day you become academic dean is the day they paint a target on your back. Right? Todd, is that fair? (laughs) Uh, It's true. Uh, so, So I would sit at these lunch hours, and it seemed like so many times we would get around to grousing, that's what it was. What's wrong with the school? What's wrong with the, the dean in particular? How could he have done it better? Now, you know, I think, I think if we had asked ourselves what we're doing, I think we probably would have said, well, we're, we're just speaking the truth. We're just, we're just saying how things are and you know we do it out of a desire to, to make things better although we didn't talk to the dean right but that was our desire we want to make things better and we want to speak the truth we'd actually like to help the dean out ah we would actually like to help the dean out of his job. (laughs) Truth be told, right? And I didn't see the end of that story. Uh, The end came a number of years after I left there. The dean was out. And it was a couple of those particular faculty members that drove it. Now, it wasn't a total disaster for the dean. He went off to a, another school and had another 20 years of a, a really illustrious career. But see, as faculty members, we were self-deceived. We weren't looking in the mirror. And yet, these, these are some of the, the guys... That have written some of the really good books. I know, I read them. And they were stellar teachers. I learned a lot from them. And many students were blessed. But, friends, learning to love is painful and it's painful for me to look back at that time and say you know that dean was the was the dean who believed in me enough to give me my first real job and i don't think i was a very good friend to him do you Love changes us. And the greatest love that God has revealed in the world is the love in which he sent his son to die for us. And now he invites us into that circle, the eternal fellowship of love in which we learn to care for others more than ourselves. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That is true. That's what I'm trying to learn to do. Let's pray, and we'll have our uh, musicians come forward again. God, this morning, we thank you for your extraordinary love to us. Lord, we, we find it difficult to consistently love our friends. But while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Lord, will you you work some small bit of that kind of love into us that we might love you more deeply and that we might love one another more faithfully? And we pray that in the strong name of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.